If you're disabled, there's a thing called uh, Social Security Disability Insurance, and you can get payments from the government to uh, help to care for yourself if you can't work. But what if it took seven months to just get your case adjudicated? Hi, I'm Scott Ott with uh, Steve Green and Bill Whittle. Uh, and gentlemen, on this right angle, I'd like to talk about this federal program that's administrated at the state level that is now so backlogged. Let me just give you a sense of this uh, state by state. This is how many days it takes to process an application for the Social Security Disability Benefit. This doesn't mean that it's going to be favorably processed or adjudicated. This just means this is how long it takes to process it. In the state of Texas, 214 days. In the state of Florida, 225 days. These are some of the better ones. Uh, in the state of Wisconsin, 227 days. Georgia, 246. Delaware, 261. South Carolina, 249. It has gone from an average of three months now to an average of seven months before you get the initial ruling from the agency on whether or not you qualify for disability payments, and two out of three claimants are denied on the first attempt. The backup is caused in part, it's always been slow, but the backup is caused by a variety of factors. Uh, during the pandemic, a lot of these offices shut down and they were incapable of taking computers home and working remotely. And so uh, you would think, oh, well, this is, this is uh, going to cause a problem. Well, it actually, the number of people applying for disability benefits dropped pretty precipitously during the pandemic because they couldn't get into the offices to apply for it. Nevertheless, those uh, agencies fell further and further behind. It's a federal program, but it's administered at the state level and typically by relatively low paid people. Um, and the, the pay is dependent on where you are. For example, if it's in Puerto Rico, the average examiner who looks at these uh, claims for disability gets paid about $16,128 a year. But if you're in Washington, D.C., $75,506 a year, and Florida and Minnesota are in between. Texas, just after years of trying, just got a raise for their people by a, about a $16,000 raise. Uh, the federal government had to approve that, and now they're up to $55,000 a year. But for that $55,000 a year, what you're doing is on a case-by-case -case basis for each applicant, you're looking at hundreds of pages of medical and income information. It used to be that the average number of document pages that you had to examine was about 160. The average is now 949 pages That's of documents. As a result, um, to learn how to do this job takes about two to three years on average. However, a lot of people aren't sticking around that long. They are quitting in vast numbers. Within the last year or so, they lost by retirement and, and resignation a quarter of the workforce that, do, that does this kind of processing around the country. Um, the people at the state level say it's because of the federal regulations that make it so difficult and because in some cases, you're paying some guy $17.50 an hour to do what one of them described as play doctor. He's got to figure out whether this person is yeah. worthy of getting uh, disability compensation. And I just read this. It was a great, uh, really well-written piece in the Washington Post uh, by a journalist whose name is Lisa Rain, um, and uh, just really well-documented and investigated. Oh, by the way, in the middle of the pandemic, 
morass. Uh, Social Security decided to introduce a new computer system to the process, and they spent about $153 million on this new case processing system. Uh, the training, of course, got bogged down. The options that the new system provided were limited. Uh, one particular glitched uh, glitch in the system stopped payments to doctors. And uh, the old system, because it's administrated on a state-by-state basis, a lot of states had paid for customizing the system to make it run better for their purposes. And so now you've got this one overarching new system coming in and basically wiping out all the gains that the local states had made in trying to improve their systems. Um, It's just unbelievable. Part of the problem is they can't hire enough people. They can't keep the people. They uh, they struggle uh, with the battles between state, local, and federal authorities. Oklahoma, by the way, recently posted 100 examiner jobs. And you would think, you know, for every 100 jobs you post, you may get like, what, 1,000 applications? They got 70. 70 applicants for 100 jobs. And the guy in charge of it said, and we weren't getting the best of the best. Oh, you you, you think. wants the work. (laughs) Gentlemen, this is another, I hate to do this because last uh, week we talked about uh, New York's mentally ill homeless problem. And I kind of was wringing my hands and saying, you know, this is one of those situations like, what do you do about it? Well, back in the 1950s, kind of as a sop to conservatives, this kind of program was set up at the federal level with state uh, state management because conservatives would prefer that it would be handled at the state level. But how can you handle this at the state level if you have to do what your federal overseers say? You can't yeah, increase pay until they say you can, and you have to go with their guidelines. This just seems like another impossible situation for government action. Yeah, the, the, the states aren't running this. The federal government just offshored the manufacturing uh, to the states. Um, we, we, we've got to have a very honest conversation here. And there's only one conclusion to this to this debate. And that is the federal government sucks at this. Uh, when it when it comes to administering or distributing benefits, the stories come down to uh, basically one of two options. Either people who shouldn't be getting money are getting crap tons of money from Washington, or people who should be getting money because they are actually disabled can't. And it's really easy. See, this is this is where incentives come into play. It's really easy to give away money to people who don't need it because, hey, who's going to complain about it that uh, really has a voice? You can get a lot of people on your side by handing out money that uh, that that shouldn't be going out to them, like the ditching the work requirement for welfare, which was you know buried in uh, the Obama's stimulus thing back in two thousand nine. Um, <sighs> It's very difficult to determine at a federal level with federal rules whether somebody is actually disabled. You know, if um, if your if your church has some kind of uh, aid program, it's a sure thing that the priest or the pastor knows the guy who injured his back at work and could go, "Wow, hey everybody, we've got a we've got a, a hurting brother here. We're gonna we're gonna all pitch in and, and help take care of him and his family." And there's no paperwork involved. Scott, what you just told me is the exact opposite of that, and it's because we went to Washington, D.C. to look for our solutions instead of right here at home. Scotty, the um, I hate getting quotes wrong, and you know these things better than I do. What is the, direct, what is the exact quote? Uh, one of the founders said that um, our form of government is only suited to a virtuous people. It's totally inappropriate for any other kind of society. It's John Adams, like and I don't remember the exact quote, but yeah. Close to that. So basically what he's saying is 
uh, a republic that is that is uh, allowing a great deal of freedom is predicated on the idea that the population, or at least the vast majority of the population, is virtuous and will do the right thing. And if they do the right thing, then we don't have to have prisons and police and cameras and all the rest of it. Now, that said, Adams was not uh, one of the authors of the Constitution, and the authors of the Constitution did everything they could to make sure that that we defended ourselves against the non-virtuosity in government. (laughs) Okay. But basically, I'm not, you know, look, just so we're clear on this, the genius of the founders is is the is the idea that the constitution understands that people are fallible and that and that we're going to design a system that is going to block the natural impulses of people for power and money and all the rest of it but the fundamental premise behind the the american experiment is that you can let people govern themselves so long as they're fundamentally honest good people and if they're not then then the thing falls apart obviously some significant percentage, possibly a majority of these applications are fraudulent. I personally know at least two or three people, not well, but I've I've met them face to face and heard them say that essentially getting a doctor to approve them as a disability, that is the all-time life jackpot as far as life in America goes. If they can be certified as having a disability, they've got income for the rest of their lives. And so if you have people that are trying to cheat the system, then you will overload the system. And what that means is, is that the people who are trying to cheat the system are depriving the people who need it of it because they're fundamentally immoral people. Uh, The thing we have to be careful of as conservatives is we see so much abuse and so much fraud and so much lying about these kind of things that we kind of want to say, well, screw the whole program. But look, there are people out there who are in need and and you can say, well, it's not the government's uh, responsibility. I agree, but it's it, but the government should be the last line of defense, not the first line of defense. A, a civilized society does not have beggars in the street, you know, who can't walk. Yeah. But a healthy society also doesn't have people pretending to be beggars in the street who can't walk, so that they can that they can get the benefits. The uh, the reporter found a couple um, who lives in their car, and uh, they drive back and forth to get the husband's cardio care that he needs to get, and. Uh, and to go to the office where they need to talk to people. And they've been waiting, I forget how many months now, some tremendous amount of time uh, for their case. And it's more than a year that they've been waiting to get their their case adjudicated. And she's like, the, the woman is like, just tell us that we're rejected so we can start the appeal process and we can go through the administrative law judge, you know, just just give us a, a, a decision on some, at some point. And in some state offices, it may have been Texas, I forget which one, there are like 70,000 in the backlog uh, cases that that they're still trying to plow their way through. One of the, the people who worked there said, not only do we not have anything to tell you uh, when you call in and ask what the dispensation of your case has been, we don't even need, we don't even know how to tell you who to talk to who would know uh, because it's, Ugh. you know, a, nationwide, there's something like a million people waiting to hear the dispensation of these things. Part of me, as I was listening to it, I was thinking... I tell you what, why not just give everybody who applies a stipend and say, uh, we're going to put this as a lien against your house or we're going to garnish your wages. Um, if it turns out that we're suspicious that something uh, dastardly is happening here, uh, then we're going to have recourse and we're going to take this money back. So you need to know going in that we're going to get our money out of it. But if you've got a legitimate claim, we want you to. We don't want to make sure you get this money right away or the doctors get it right away. So that was my one genius solution, of course, totally unworkable. And the 
other was put it in the hands of the doctors. Now the doctors would say, no, 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 no. Like we don't we don't want to make this decision. You know, it's one of those things where what Steve said is, you know, can can government even do this? And the example you just gave, I was in a Sunday school class this Sunday morning and a lady got up and she said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that last week we mentioned to you that there was a family in the church that's really uh, hurting. And so and so here in the class kind of coordinated uh, some efforts to help these people. And the father in this family approached me this morning and came up to me and said, um, hey, I just got a box with a check for $2,000 in it. And I just want to let you know how important that was to our family and what a difference that made. And what I thought immediately was, and this was done by people who know him and love him and are yeah. there for the long haul, not by, you know, he he's not a file folder in some government, government uh, steel cabinet. Exactly. He, he's a person who has children and a wife and and we know him and we're in a supportive community. And one of the reasons he got the check was because people knew him well enough to know he's not pulling a con on people. He's not he's not going to use this money to jet off to, you know, to some vacation someplace. Uh, that's what I was talking about when you get to the moral character of people. Uh, so just for full disclosure here, uh, back when I was in my uh, late 20s, I was still living in Florida and I had uh, ruptured a disc in my neck and I, I couldn't turn mm -hmm. my neck. I had to turn from the waist. I was just constant Oof. pain. And I didn't have any money at all. So the doctor said, go and talk to vocational rehab, state of Florida vocational rehab. And I said, okay. And I went in there and by, by happy coincidence, I was the first patient or the first applicant, I guess, in a person who had just started at vocational rehab. So she was there and her supervisor was there as well. And I basically went in and said, I don't know if there's anything you can do for me, but I'd certainly be grateful for any help that you can you can have. So I needed a, a discectomy. I made a little incision here, and they apparently avoided the, the main pipes, and they pulled the disc out and fused bones in my neck. And I don't know, I think it cost like $14,000, which I didn't have. The state picked it up. Now, before I, before I agreed to, before I took this help, I said, I'm very grateful about that. Um, I don't really know what to say. And the supervisor said, let me put it to you this way, Bill. If we if we don't pay for this operation, you probably won't be able to work, and you're going to be a charity case for the rest of your life. You're going to be you're going to be on disability for the rest of your life. On the other hand, if we do pay for it and you do go back to work, then what you'll eventually pay in taxes will not only pay us back, but you'll pay us back many times over. And that's what made me accept the help. And sure enough, uh, that was a wise decision on the part of Florida because I paid a lot more money back to them than I ever took out. But my point of it is the attitude that, that you went in there with. And when the, when the young person who had to finally make their first decision, and I was the first case, when they approved it, I thanked them so profusely. And, and they said, they said, it's so unusual to hear that. Said, what do you mean? And, and she said, people come into our office demanding their money. Uh. They come into this office demanding their money, talking about their rights, talking about what's owed to them. They, they come in here with this sense of, of total entitlement, total ingratitude, as if the state is holding on to stole money from you, you know, and, and has been keeping it in a vault someplace.
Well, in a way, Bill, you can't blame them because it was sold to us as social security disability insurance. It is if, as if we have paid a premium. Yeah. They're taking money out of our paychecks. They're taking lots of other money from us. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the same motivation that drives local elected officials to say, hey, we got to apply for this program or that this grant, grant that we don't or whatever, yeah. because we need to get the money we sent to Washington back in our district. And everybody's doing the same thing. It strengthens Washington, it weakens local communities because they're utterly dependent upon the distant sources, and it impoverishes us all. But that attitude of entitlement extends beyond people who have legitimate claim for disability. Sure. Right. There are, like I said, there are a number of people out there, a large number of people out there who consider a medical, a statement of medical disability from a doctor to be the jackpot, that they're set for life, at least on some level, they don't ever have yeah. to work again. And 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 you occasionally run into people who say, well, we got a job for you. I can't take that job. If I take that job, I lose my disability insurance or, or my welfare check or whatever the case may be. And so you can look at all kinds of political and administrative solutions to this, but ultimately what you're stuck with is honest people need who need help deserve to be helped. And and the reason you've got 900 pages of documents to go through is because the state, who doesn't know anything about you, unlike the person in the church that you just mentioned, is going to take 900 pages to decide whether or not you're an honest person or not. And if it turns out that that becomes the smart play, that you're a sucker if you don't take the money, then it's just a matter of time. But when you deal with uh, actual compassion and charity, as you mentioned with the church, the first the first response of a person who seems to me to be worthy of the help is a sense of enormous gratitude. And and there was a time very recently in this country, certainly up until World War II during the Depression, where it didn't matter if you were starving, you would not take government help because you did not want to be seen as the kind of person who was riding for free. It was, it was better to be hungry than to be seen as somebody who was living off of somebody else's sweat. And when you've got a society like that, you're in good shape. Well, and the, when you, when, yeah, and, and when you don't, you don't. I was gonna say that the, the reason why it's 949 pages now instead of 160 pages is because of increasing federal requirements. Of course. That more documents. And then of course, doctors are expected to create more documentation. Um, so, so the burden- but that's to prove- Yes. Th- that's to prove whether they qualify or not, yeah. right? So the burden has been increased upon doctors and the burden has been increased upon these so-called examiners who work for the disability insurance agencies at the state level who are really complying with federal law. And a lot of these state offices run on a reimbursement system. So they operate and they have to ask the federal government to give them the money that they just spent operating, you know, and doing what they had to do. And people are are losing their minds working these jobs because they don't know. I mean, they look at, at 500 pages or 900 pages of documentation and like, I'm supposed to decide sure. whether this guy's going to get compensation Did, or not. I've got the power of pain or torture in my hands. I don't want to make that decision for $17.50 an hour. I mean, that's just not <laughs> fair to ask of anybody. And, and, and they're trying to manufacture trust out of paperwork and regulation. That's not how human beings work. 
So it's, I know that, you know, people expect us to solve the problems of the world, but um, <laughs> it's just another instance where we feel as, a, as, a, as humans that we should do something, that something must be done uh, for people who are disabled, for example. And then we hear that people who are disabled are waiting 249 days to, for the adjudication of their, their claim to get disability insurance. And we say, well, somebody should do something about that. And it is at such a massive scale that we cannot imagine what could be done. Like you need to sort of take it down to the local level and say, okay, Bob and Cindy and their three kids are in a rough patch right now. Bob just lost his job. Cindy actually uh, injured her back and and can't uh, walk around freely. And they've got the three kids and they are about to lose their home and they can't afford the payments on the car and they don't have any local relatives to be able to help them. What do we do about Bob and Cindy? And there's, it, that's not how the system works. Bob and Cindy are, you know, case number 67532870. And, and, that, and that's sitting in a pile somewhere in a, you know, metaphorical warehouse, uh, like Raiders of the Lost Ark at the final scene, where some guy's pushing a cart down there going, gee, they sent me back here for Bob and Cindy's file. I'm not sure wh whether that should be filed under B or C, but I know it's been here since BC something. <laughs> um, and I, I just think we have to find a way to engage with these issues and look around us and see like that lady in Sunday school did and see, okay, who's hurting? Who needs help? Maybe this family in our church doesn't have to rush right down to their local social security office to apply for something because yeah. their brothers and sisters in Christ rallied around them at their moment of greatest need.